Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Artificial Talk. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I have my co-host... Louie, hello, everyone. All right, and honestly, the topics have been kind of dry this week, but, you know, we're going to make it... We're going to make these topics great, and you're going to love them. That's, that's the end part of this whole story. So... How many of you have an iPhone? I don't know. Probably a lot of you. I know Louie has an iPhone. I have an iPhone. Louie. Yes. Did you know that Wi-Fi could be used to hack your phone and then uh, just base, take everything off of it? I didn't until, uh, you know, this, this whole uh, news story came out. Uh, it's, uh, it's great, dude. I love it. You know, I love being able to have my data stolen at any point without even me having to interact with it. It makes me feel so safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when you guys think of iPhones, even if you don't own an iPhone or if you hate Apple for whatever reason, I'm sure you know that Apple sort of has that brand reputation of being super secure, super private, you know, has all things. What's interesting about this whole thing, this whole hack, is it's actually utilizing Apple's secure ecosystem to break said ecosystem. Like, just think about that for a second. It, it's kind of funny. Like, like I'm sure everyone has used AirDrop at some point if you've had an iPhone, right? Will you use AirDrop? I use it almost exclusively whenever I need to move a big file. <laughs> so, Will you use AirDrop a lot. I use AirDrop occasionally. And even if you're just... You know, you have like, let's say a watch synced up, your Apple watch synced up to your phone or Air, AirPods as a better example. I think a lot of people have AirPods maybe as a better one that uses the H1 chip and they kind of all pair magically, you know, open it up next to it. And it's like, hey, connect your and AirPods. And a handoff between devices now too. Yeah. You know, it's great. <laughs> so that was using essentially a mix of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth that Apple was setting up and it used essentially like a key to to like say, hey, this is what this device is. And like, you know, it used that key to kind of talk to each other and be like, okay, this is an Apple device talking to an Apple device. Well, at Project Zero, Google Project Zero, basically they figured out by using that key, which they could find by digging through some code, they could actually trick an Apple device, specifically an iPhone, into thinking that, hey, it's talking to another Apple device, which means, for example, if you have your Apple Watch connected, you have the power to, like, let's say, turn on Do Not Disturb or take photos from your phone onto your watch. You can do all that sorts of things. Imagine if you could do that, but with no limits and on any device that essentially had Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty scary in terms of what it could be used for maliciously. But honestly, it's almost really cool to think about the potential, you know, for... I don't know, home integration or being able to, you know, connect your phone to even more devices. And I don't know. It just feels like something that could be useful, but also horrific for privacy, if not, you know, if, if abused, essentially. Um, I don't know. It, you know, thinking about it now, it's like, wow, this is terrible. But I don't know, the ability to be able to do things that you normally couldn't do. I mean, of course, anytime you think about that, you know, I can use this to do this. You know, some device that wasn't meant to do something is now able to be used for something it was never meant to do in the first place. It's always interesting and almost intriguing to want to try, but yeah, this is not, I don't know how this flew under the radar for so long, considering it's just there in the code, almost begging to be used and abused. I mean, it's one of those things that, right, like, you would think this would be one of the things that would come up and test it, like, hey, you know, AirDrop is basically constantly sending a signal out to all these devices. You think one of the first thoughts 
in a, maybe a security developer's mind would be like, well, you know, this is constantly sending out this wireless signal that any other device can pick up on. Like, even if it's like a hidden address, like, for example, if you have a Wi-Fi router at your house, think about this. That signal is being probably broadcasted larger than your, your house or your apartment or wherever you live so that anyone on the outside could theoretically pick up on it. Think about your phone. You walking around in public, it's also doing that, which you know yeah and, and it's even worse than the wi-fi because at least your wi-fi has a password i mean this with this exploit you don't even need a password you're just like hey i'm an apple device give me your photos thanks <laughs> right and a lot of people use their photos not just for like you know the family pic or maybe pics of the grandkids you also use your photos maybe to take a picture of like a password if that's where you store your passwords probably shouldn't be doing that but you or know. or you know anything more revealing you know you got only fans on there you got you know, you you have no idea what's on people's phones. Everyone's different, and there could be some things that people really don't want to be out there in the wild. Uh, you know, potentially being used for blackmail. Even, you know, it reminds me of the iCloud break-in way back in the day, where photos were like, if you don't pay me X million dollars, I'm gonna release all of these photos and videos. Oh, that that was huge, especially with a lot of the celebrities that when yeah. their photos got stolen, that was huge. It, it's um, it's it's groundbreaking and very sad when it does happen yeah and to be very clear as long as you've updated your iphone to the latest update which i believe is 14.2 i want to say at the time of this recording you should be totally fine you just need to actually be up to date and i know i'm gonna say probably the majority of people listening to this podcast are a little more tech savvy you probably keep your stuff up to date but you know remind your your family your friends tell them update your devices send them this podcast even i think that would help you know. Yeah, I agree. That would help. It would get give them some background on why they need to update consistently. All that stuff would be very useful. Um, I I know at least I think I don't know if you had this experience too, but when fourteen when we were in fourteen point one, I think we had that weird bug where it kept telling us there's a new update, there's a new update, there's a new update, 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 update. Like like every hour to get the update. It was the most annoying thing, but I could never find the update. So I'm not sure if that was intentional to patch the bug. Like hey get this update now even when it's not available yet um it's just you know apple does have a lot of power when it comes to almost forcing your devices to update whether you want them to or not uh, it reminds me of uh, windows 10 updates like i'm in the middle of doing a 4k video and i haven't saved in three hours just kidding it's updating <laughs> yeah I, you know it's so funny to me this is an issue that you know we're talking about now it's a huge issue because of the potential damage it could actually do and Apple said nothing about it. Like, they, I don't think they talked about it pretty much at all. Um, they sort of just updated it, and it flew under the radar, and that was sort of the end of it. Yeah, that uh, kind of seems to be how a lot of this... I don't know, it feels like Apple's been doing this a lot lately, right? You know, the last time, the, you know, the most recent time that they had to say anything was with Trust D, you know, the Mac OS issue with, uh, the, you know, sending all of your information to uh, their servers. And, you know, before that, I, I can't even think of the last time they had to publicly say, yeah, we messed up our security, aside from maybe the iCloud break-in, right? Like, they don't, they don't do it very often. So there's a chance that there's been other types of these that we didn't even know about that they found from, you know, these white hat hackers are paying for bounties and stuff like that. You know, we... It, it's a lot of trust in a company that really doesn't give us that much transparency. But this goes for every company, if you think about it. We're trusting all of these operating systems to be as safe as they can be. 
But we don't really know until, oh, just kidding, 10 exploits have been found. Right? You know, it's funny you say that, though. I feel like when we look at Apple's approach, though, as you said, Apple is very close when it comes to security things. Uh, and for the matter, even just their standard technology, they are generally very close about how they uh, approach a lot of those things. I, I find it interesting, like, when you look at something like Google, and re quite recently Microsoft, they sort of taken the other side of that approach where they're very open about how they're handling security, how they're handling those things. Now, granted, that's not to say everything they do is super transparent. I mean, both those companies have been known. I mean, Google Plus was a, tra a mess. Windows is in itself a security uh, nightmare. Yeah. Apple, it's weird because you never really know what bites you until it bites, basically, or until you get lucky and someone who, like a white hat, figures it out before the hacker, basically. That's the part I I generally don't like, and Apple doesn't like to make these issues big things. Google will say, oh, you know, we solved this and we really figured it out, whereas Apple will say, eh, we don't really... We're not, we no, don't they really, don't even say anything. <laughs> no, we, you know, they don't really want to talk about it. It's not yeah. a topic of discussion, basically. Well, I wonder if perhaps the solution to this is increasing the bug bounty, right? I believe right now it's at a million uh, dollars, you know, per vulnerability found. But after that, I'm not sure that there is, you know, any, you know, I feel like it needs to be more than that to maybe even get these bad hackers to look into um you know finding these bugs for for the money rather than for exploitation all right yeah and i mean security is all the fun stuff but let's talk about let's talk about something that maybe we don't talk about that often we don't really talk about enterprise applications for the most part um this tends to be a much more consumer facing one however i think this is kind of important as this is now maybe going to affect consumers at some point so Slack was just bought by Salesforce for, what is it, $27.7 billion? Yeah. Man. That's a lot. You can't even say, like, just, you know, throwing down some Benjamins or Jacksons. You're throwing down everything. Like, you're throwing down a bank. <laughs> basically. So, why is this big? Well, for one, if you don't know what Salesforce is, uh, basically work at any... Any company that uses technology, I'm going to say, like, not even just technology, like, you work at any office job, and they probably use at least one product from Salesforce. Uh -huh. Maybe it's, it's just their invoicing, you know, it doesn't have to be their whole suite. Maybe it's just, like, simple invoicing and stuff like that. But, you know, th this, this merger is uh, going to, you know, create waves and ripple effects across the enterprise. Because right now, your options for, you know, word processing, document processing, typical office things that you would do. You have Microsoft, you know, Office 365, Teams, and then you have Google G Suite, Google Docs, Google Drive, all that good stuff. And now with this, it seems Salesforce is positioning themselves to be the next, you know, the next big enterprise thing for document editing because they also bought Quip, and, which is basically the equivalent of Google Docs. And they've also now bought Slack, the equivalent of Teams, essentially, right? So they're, they're positioning themselves to be a third player in this small business to big corporation market, essentially. And it's taking them out of just the sales side and more to the, hey, you can use us for everything. And, you know, Salesforce, you might not have heard of them, but they have a lot of integration, just like Slack did. Like Salesforce is integrated everywhere, just like Microsoft, just like Google. So it's not, um, it's definitely going to, Maybe not immediately, but within 10 years, I think we'll see a lot more of Salesforce 
in even the general consumer market. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I was gonna say just like, we're basically, so Slack was one of the last independent enterprise apps I'd say. I, like, I can't think of any other enterprise apps that are still, uh, maybe the guys over at uh, the, you know, the team over at Basecamp is maybe one of the last ones I can think of that's still separate. Um, everyone else is sort of owned by a big company. I mean, as you said, the, and it seems like Salesforce, the intention seems to be they want to become, the, uh, you know, another Microsoft where they can provide your entire suite of products, like everything from document management to uh, handling, uh, you know, your, uh, whatchamacallit. Cloud, cl- cloud storage. Your cloud and, storage. And all of the emails, all, all of it. They want to basically be your sole customer all that integration all of your needs exactly and as we said salesforce is huge like anywhere there's some sort of office you can probably find at least one product from salesforce so i mean it's not a small and 27 billion dollars while salesforce we say is huge scale wise that's actually a very huge chunk of change for them that's not a small amount of money for them to plunk down for a a product that uh you know honestly was arguably overvalued um uh well maybe Honestly, Slack was, I remember it for a time being very big, being the most, you know, everyone used Slack at one point. Like, we've all used Slack. If, you've, if you haven't heard of them, then congratulations, congratulations you're one of the few. Um, I, Slack, it's either a love-hate relationship. You either love it or you hate it. I personally did not like Slack, mainly because of their user interface. Now, I'm not sure if that's changed. I haven't used them in three years. Um, but you know, they, they were, if you look at their stock, it has not been great for them. Uh, so, so them being bought out is definitely a, a, a good, definitely good for them. Right. I mean, they're competing against, you know, Microsoft teams, zoom, uh, whatever Google's offering is that they currently support until they ax it, you know, in five years and replace something else. It's just actually just the same thing. Um, you know, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting platform, I'll say, because not everyone needs, you know, a team meeting site, essentially. You know, typically it's emails, and now we're moving more and more to chat. Uh, I don't know, Slack has, has definitely seen its golden days pass, I believe. So this is definitely, uh, it's good for, for, for Slack. Uh, for Salesforce, however, they just want to be... They, they want to be the next Microsoft, let's be honest. They, they're, they're very small right now in terms of in the consumer relations side. You know, for enterprise, they're, 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 they're definitely up there. But if they want to be more competitive you know, elsewhere as well, then this is definitely the right, the right move to go. Oh, yeah, no. And I, like, not to say that, I, like, honestly, even today, Slack is still a really strong product. It's not oh, like yeah, it's they're, a bad product. They're, definitely, yeah. they're definitely widely used still. Oh, definitely. Um, it's just, you know, there's so many alternatives now to when it was first initially uh, um, created, I would oh, say. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, even back in the day when Slack came out, I mean, I think the only products that were comparable at the time were probably Google's Hangouts. Uh, actually, I don't even know if Hangouts was an enterprise product at that point. I can't remember now. Um, and then I Skype, I think, was the other one. Like, Teams was not actually not a thing yet. Uh, Microsoft yeah, no, Teams. Teams, Zoom, none of that, none of that was a, a thing yet. No. So Slack was sort of the only, well, uh, not maybe not the only competition, but they were the best competition. They were the only ones that integrated with everything really well and, uh, you know, 
uh, generally, I would say, considered a very secure place to send messages and all that. Like, you didn't really have to think about any of that. It just sort of all worked. It all integrated. Anyone in your company could use it, install it on any device, and it just worked. Uh, this is as opposed to, like, Google Hangouts was kind of a dumpster fire. It still is a dumpster fire. And now it's Google Chat, which... Oh, it's chat now. Okay. It's chat I thought now. it was Meet or something. Okay. So Meet is the video, video meeting side, like the Zoom competitor, whereas chat is the Slack, and this is where Google's product naming uh, is awful. Yeah, that's really difficult to yeah. understand. <laughs> whereas, like, credit to Microsoft. Microsoft Teams is a dumpster fire, but, like, it's a better but dumpster fire. It is better than Zoom, though, I'll be honest. The, the, like, Zoom is just video conferencing. Teams kind of does everything. Yeah, and even like, Slack. It, does it might not do too. everything the best. It might not do everything the best, but it does everything well enough where okay, I can use this for my business. Instead, like if you're already paying for Microsoft, this is the free add-on essentially. Yeah, I mean, no, definitely. I mean, we can't really discount the fact that it comes with Microsoft. When you buy, if you're buying a, a Microsoft business uh, account. You kind of just get teams on board. You don't have to pay for another app, which, you know, and some people might say, well, Zoom is still better. And to some extent, there are some things Zoom does do better. Uh, being able to have public meetings is something that Teams is. It's not awful, but it ain't great either. Yeah, it's not. It's going to take some work for them to get on the same level as Zoom. I mean, Zoom has been preparing for, for this for, you know, however long they've existed. Uh, you know, Teams doing this was. Never thought of classrooms. They, they never thought of, you know, high, 30, 30 or 60 people in a meeting, right? No, definitely not. Like, like they, they never imagined that. And so Zoom was, you know, you have 100 people in a meeting and they, and they wouldn't even, like, care. You know, it, it, it's perfectly oriented to such a wide range of things versus team is, is mainly almost, almost peer-to-peer, you know, maybe three to four people in a chat and, and it would be perfect. Um, yeah, and I mean, that, yeah, I mean, this is big only because now we're seeing that consolidation. It does mean that there's less competition, straight up. Uh, there, like, they, we're kind of going back to the thing where it's sort of all just we've been talking about the fact that a lot of these companies are monopolies because straight up, some of them are like it's not not a question. And now this is essentially doing the same thing. We're consolidating uh, chat apps again to each individual company. There's not really there's not really an independent. Uh, enterprise chat anymore um that i can think of off the top of my head yeah the only one off the top of my head is uh quill which is a competitor to slack but it's still in you know alpha and hasn't been not, not in beta yet people to test and anyway, we saw the way slack went i'm a little i like not to say that they're not doing great at work over there and i'm not gonna say it's just gonna fail but it's hard it, it, it's there's too much competition now i think yeah oh it, or, it, too it, less it, it, too less it, maybe Oh, yeah, maybe it's just the only option is, you know, whoever you've been with forever, essentially. Whoever you're already paying for is who you're going to stick with. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Louie, who you're paying for is what you're going to stick with. You're absolutely correct. You know what a lot of people pay for? For the two-day free shipping? Uh, Amazon Prime? Yeah. So, we're going to talk about Amazon now. Again, we don't really talk about I said it last week. Amazon is one of those companies that is we generally don't talk about. We're coming. We're talking about them a lot now. You know, we're going after Amazon directly. <laughs> so, Amazon Echo. If you've never heard of it, or Alexa, I'm not going to say the name out well because I she doesn't have voice recognition for some reason. Still, 
So Amazon Echo is officially going to be rolling out something called side, the Sidewalk Network. Um, so let me, let me just tell you, you know what Wi-Fi is. You probably all know what Wi-Fi is. We just talked about Wi-Fi and what it could be used for in an iPhone. That actually ties in really nicely. What, what could that Wi-Fi does, yeah. be used for to really be exploited? Well, Amazon's decided, apparently, we need to test the limits of how exploited Wi-Fi can be. Now every Amazon <laughs> Echo device will put out its own Wi-Fi. So you can share with your neighbors because obviously you wanted to share your network cap and broadband with your neighbors. Yep. I can't imagine any reason that you would not want to be broadcasting free Wi-Fi, you know, around your house and neighborhood for anyone to join at any point in time. Well, Louie, Louie, think about it. Think, I want you to consider this scenario where the power in your house goes out. And your, your neighbor has their Amazon Echo set up, and it's projecting Wi-Fi that you can connect to, and then you're just good. You have Wi-Fi in your powerless because, house. Because only my house would be out of power instead of the whole neighborhood. Yeah, when a power outage happens, obviously, only one house is affected. Nobody else is affected. It's just the one house, obviously. No, yeah, it's because the neighbor has Tesla Powerwall. That's why, that's why they still have power. There you go. It's perfect. You're right. You're right. You got it. You got me there. But what we're basically saying is, this is... And, oh, and let me add on another tidbit. Another cherry on top of this whole thing that makes it even more amazing. It's an opt-out, meaning you have to dig through the settings to turn this feature off when it's finally rolled out to your Echo. Your automatic updating Echo, by the way, that's going to update on its own without your knowledge and not just simply not tell you when this feature is enabled, essentially. I don't know if you've ever used the Amazon, uh, uh, the, the Echo app or, oh, it's trash. or the, yeah, it is, or the web interface. It is impossible to do anything on it. You cannot find a single setting in there that is of use. No, no, I mean, it is, it's a horrible, for one, the setup process, to be fair, is kind of, it's okay, it's not bad, it's uh -huh. not great. Once you have to modify literally anything after your setup, though, it's a, it's a, like, honestly, anything you can modify on your Echo, you should just talk to your assistant to do, A-L-E-X-A, just ask her to do it, because she can do it so much faster than you could ever find it in oh, their yeah. settings. And that's, you know, her sending your voice to data centers to be processed and back to her to understand what to do. And it's still faster than going into the app and doing it yourself. <laughs> yes. Like, what we're basically saying here, like, this feature... It, so, in theory, Amazon's whole thought process was, theoretically speaking, by sharing bandwidth across everybody, they could make the voice responses even faster and make their devices work better, essentially. I don't um, understand that theory. Like, their idea being, like, if we have one giant Amazon network across... Like, for example, we live in the United States. Imagine the entire United States in a giant Amazon network bubble. And then all of them can talk to each other so that AliExA can talk to you better. Dude, this just sounds like the... You know, they've already had all these issues with, with uh, Echo recording, you know, people unknowingly. And now we're going to be sharing this data across several devices. It just seems like a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's funny. I I would get it if it's an opt-in thing. I actually would completely. I'd be like, you know what? It's kind of a cool feature. I'd maybe be willing to enable it just to see what it does. 
see if there's any improvement and then disable it after a month or forget to disable it because you know honestly probably never used it but my issue actually comes down to this is an opt-out thing like that means every single person who has an echo and majority of people probably are not going to even know this feature exists until somebody exploits it basically right yep like i don't understand the well maybe their point is they want everyone to use it because honestly people are less likely to opt out than opt in so well i i think the reason well okay yes i agree with that and in conjunction with that you know there you mentioned before uh that they are emailing people to tell them hey this is you know a feature if you want to opt out of it you can how many of those emails are going to go directly to spam directly to junk right how many of those aren't even going to be received by emails how many people have changed their email since you know and didn't forward the the address you know, there's so many things that could just go wrong. Again, but even if they get that email, how many people are actually going to go through, as we said, the, the, the settings app for, for ALXA is not great. It's not a good app. How many people are actually going to take the time? One, and keep in mind, this feature is not fully rolled out yet. So if it didn't appear on their Echo when they've read this email, there's a possibility they just never go back to it again. Uh-huh. They, they just never talk about it again. It just, you know, it just happens. It's like, hey, we emailed you. That's it. Like, if, you don't, if you've never been in the world of the Internet of Things, or IoT as it's better known, IoT is such a, just a mess of product. Like, think about this. Every single device and every single manufacturer decides they need their own standard. And then they say, well, this will be the general standard everyone uses. And then they just add another standard, essentially. Like, yeah. there's a really funny joke I saw from a comic writer who said... The situation is that there's 14 different standards for IoT devices. So two developers get together and are like, hey, we can make a general standard that everyone else can use. And then literally the next, the next panel over, it says, situation, there are now 15 standardized <laughs> for IoT. Oh my god. So this is always the problem here is everyone has their own standard. Now, Amazon in particular, AliXA is the most popular uh, AI assistant in the U.S., I think it's the cheapest to actually get into as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, by far. I think the only one who can compete with at that level is maybe Google, and even Google was a little late to the game, so Amazon sort of took all the gold, essentially. Um, so, like, when I look at this, that means that there's probably more ALXAs out there in the wild than there are anything else, and that means that this sidewalk, when it enables, assuming the majority of people don't disable it outright because they're just not going to think about it, Uh-huh. All of this means that all these Wi-Fi networks... And remember, we talked about the iPhone, which is generally considered to be very secure in the mind of consumer. All of a sudden, all these Wi-Fi networks are just out there. They're all talking. They're all sending out signals. They're not thinking about it. It's just out there. And it's exploitable. It's something that anybody could theoretically get into. I'm not going to say it's insecure. We don't know yet. We haven't seen it in action. But just sending a Wi-Fi signal out there for no reason, other than the fact to create essentially a public Wi-Fi... Could could you imagine a situation where someone, you know, takes apart their, their, their Echo, you know, hijacks the interface to do whatever they want, connects to your Echo's Wi-Fi, and, uh, you know, essentially starts telling your device to do things that you're not telling it to do. You know, go buy, you know, 20,000 rolls of toilet paper, you know, and approve it. You know, is, is there really uh, any stop to that? No, at least not yet that we know of. 
<laughs> and this not only extends the echo device, it extends to ring too. So even if you don't have an echo in your house, if you have a ring doorbell, they can look at your cameras. Yeah. A ring camera. It's all extending this giant. But the, the idea being, if your house, let's say your household is all Amazon stuff for some reason, you've got the echoes, you've got the ring cameras, the ring doorbell. I mean, there are some households I'm sure that are like this because it's just the ecosystem locked in. You got that? It all works. All of a sudden, all like, let's say you have nine devices in your house are now projecting their own version of this essentially mesh Wi-Fi to the world. And I imagine you probably are going to have to go through individually and turn it off. I would maybe I haven't looked at the instructions. I feel like this is one of those things, though, that's just going to be a pain in the butt to turn off, though. It just sounds like, you know, wave soup. We're going to have so many waves going around for you know, Wi-Fi signals just like, is our own Wi-Fi going to suffer from this? Is our, you know, if you think of Comcast, they have a 1.2 terabyte data cap. How is that going to affect, you know, the how much Wi-Fi it's using or how much data it's using on from your Wi-Fi? Because it's just, you know, extending your Wi-Fi, essentially. Is it, how is that going to work? And I was going to say, too, how, how does the, you know, when all these Amazon devices are all, bri- as they call it, bridged together, you know, how do they determine how much data they're taking from each household? You know, are they taking it? Maybe one household has a faster Wi-Fi, so they're pulling from that one. Or if one household has a slower Wi-Fi, they're taking less from that one. And then all of a sudden, data caps are all different because this whole network is just destroying some people's data caps and leaving others totally fine. I wonder if this is going to lead to Amazon having their own internet service. They're going to become their own ISP. Think about it. You don't need a router. Because your Echo will be your router. Your Ring camera will be your router. Don't worry about buying a router or a modem. We'll just send a satellite signal. Don't worry about it. You're, oh you're... my god, dude. We're, we're, it's going to come to that, I swear. You're making me think of like cable pirating. Like when that, was a, when that was a huge thing where you pirate like your neighbor's cable. But instead of your neighbor's cable, you just buy an Echo device to pirate your neighbor's Echo network that's connected to their Wi-Fi. Hey, I mean, we could. That could be a thing. If, if, if they can make it cheap enough where every ISP will suffer because of how cheap it will be because your, you know, your router is essentially $20. I mean, I could see the future now. We have Elon Musk Starlinked. We've got Amazon's... What, what, do, you think, what do they call it? Sidewalk Network? Sidewalk oh, Network? No. It's a oh, terrible no. name, by the way. Sidewalk yeah, Network. Yeah, a terrible name. <laughs> and then, I don't know, Google Fi. <laughs> Yeah, Google it's Fi. still, still then, a service. Uh, and then eventually we'll have privacy-oriented Apple Internet. <laughs> oh my goodness, Apple Internet. I mean, they all project their own internet. We know, we know for a fact now Apple's devices all project Wi-Fi without us knowing. So, well, let's stop them from saying, hey, also, you can now take your neighbor's Wi-Fi for, with your iPhone. Yeah, get a, a, an Apple uh, router. Oh my gosh, the airport. Oh my goodness, the airport. Those actually existed, my lord. We're not talking about the airport. All right, no, anyways. No. Okay, yeah. Talking about Apple, though. Uh, we've been talking, the M1 chip has been in the news all over the place. I, I, don't, I don't think I really need to speak to how well Apple did with the M1 chip. You know what else runs real well on the Apple chip, though? Windows. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Microsoft couldn't do it with their own ARM chip, so why not use your competitor's chip Actually, they didn't do anything. I'm going to be entirely fair. Microsoft does not care for like, yeah. ARM at all on Mac, basically. Like, Apple Silicon, they don't care. This, basically, a developer got Windows ARM to run on the M1 chip, 
and it was faster than anything Microsoft currently has in the ARM world. Yeah, it was it was faster than the Surface Pro X, which is their top tier ARM you know device, and the M1 runs faster than it. That that's just beautiful to me. That's just such irony. It is. It is rough. I'm gonna be honest. Like, I'll be honest. Microsoft was actually. I don't know if they were the first PC manufacturer to open with ARM, like Surface RT, back in 20. What was it? 13, 14. Man, it's been in. It's been in ages. They were the first company to jump on board with the idea of ARM being mobile PC. I have, like some credit where credit is due. It's just they could never hack it, basically, like, to be entirely honest. Like, and I don't blame them. It's tough. There's only, I mean, who makes ARM chips? You've got, you've got Apple, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got uh, Qualcomm. Samsung. Samsung, Broadcom, and I think uh, Huawei as well. Although I don't know if Huawei can still make chips. That's a question, but. Oh, yeah, because of the, uh, the the merger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. In terms of, you know, you got five companies that make ARM chips. I mean, Microsoft could potentially make its own. It's big enough, but it's hard. Like, yeah. I'll put this in perspective. M1 is probably five years in the making from when it started. And that's not even including the amount of years of beforehand of Apple making its chips on watches, phones, tablets. You know, they have all this previous experience. And then they just had to transition that into PCs, which still took five years, roughly. We're not sure exactly how many years, but the paper trail that rumors and leakers have is roughly five years. So, you know, um, I mean, it's impressive though. Honestly, I, I wish Microsoft would finally open source the arm license. I don't think they're going to, to be honest. No, they, they won't. It's, it's too. Yeah, they, they won't. They, they want to have uh, uh, their closed. They want to have their closed operating system. You know, if you could have a closed operating system, you, know, you can actually force people to pay finally for your operating system instead of Windows 10 where you can use it for free and then look up online to get a free license key essentially. Yeah, I you know, and I, I feel bad for Microsoft to some extent, honestly, because they kind of a lot of the things you use today, they sort of pioneered a little bit. I, I say a little bit. Actually, internet the internet as you know today was actually built by Internet Explorer. That's a that's a hot take right there. <laughs> like think about that for a second internet explorer used to be the browser and it actually built the internet as we know it today so you yeah know. wasn't it like 90 percent a market share at some point after it killed netscape and yeah, yeah after, after it killed netscape yeah yeah after it murdered them <laughs> horrifically <laughs> yeah i mean internet explorer for all its version was great and honestly microsoft is i'm not gonna say microsoft is out of the game here yet though like the m1 chip is great but you know what competition's good we, we want the Pro X to do better because that'll force Apple to then do better. I mean, that's why, they, that's why their A-chips are always faster than Snapdragon's because they need to be just a tad faster. Just to I, have a point. I think this, this switch from Apple to Apple Silicon will, you know, they, they tend to be pushing every market that they're in. I mean, you know, with the phones, they pushed every phone now to be over $1,000, right? Uh, this push to to ARM processors, I think, is not going to end with the Mac. It is definitely going to become more and more relevant within Windows itself, whether that's going to be uh, Microsoft making their own, you know, the Surface Pro X lineup, whether that's going to be HP, Dell making their own, or, or licensing an ARM processor to run, to run uh, ARM Windows. Um, it's definitely not the end of 
you know, I, I it's more of the beginning, I think, of maybe Windows and Mac are going to be even more of a competitor now in some ways. Uh, you know, and things so, in terms of efficiency, battery life now, you know, like 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 historically Windows has been terrible with battery life, you know, and Apple now, if you spec if you spec up, you know, these machines, they're gonna be exactly the same as their Windows counterparts in terms of battery performance. But if we transition to ARM, battery life will become much more of a consumer, you know, apparent awareness, essentially, of when they're buying these products. The same with efficiency, you know, the, the performance per, per dollar, essentially. I feel like, you know, by doing this, not only will Apple be more competitive among, I don't know, average everyday uh, students and parents and schools, but Windows will also be forced to a position where they're going to have to acknowledge their presence and actually be forced to move further and further into ARM. Now, it's not going to obviously kill the desktop market. The desktop market, I think, will stay x86 for a while. Um, but I guess we're going to have to see what happens with you know the Mac Pro. You know, if that ends up being a behemoth that you know ends up being comparable to the Threadripper then my lord, we're going to see some big changes, I think, in the desktop market within these next 10 years. I mean, I, I was going to say, like, it's one of those things of everyone in the industry is going to actually be competing, and now there's actually going to be competition again. Uh-huh, I think, again, I, yeah. Very, I, very well said. I mean, and Apple for the last few years has kind of been stagnating a little bit. Like, we're just going to be entirely honest. I mean, as you said, as you spec up higher, the Macs on higher levels, often they did significantly worse than their Windows counterparts. Uh, and on the lower end, I mean, the MacBook Air was a interest. I'm going to call it an interesting computer because I think it was a good computer, except for the fact the fan wasn't on the heatsink and the battery <laughs> life was, it was okay. It was right. Yeah, it, it was, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. And, and you know, now at the M1, you had like what, two days of battery life and you don't even need a fan. It, it's, it's, it, it's just, it's, yeah, it, it's entirely changing and it's really going to force it's now going to become a competition of instead of x86 versus x86, it's going to become ARM versus x86 versus maybe even RISC soon, right? We're going to have all these different CPUs now, architectures competing to be the most efficient, most powerful, and most, you know, performance per dollar for consumers. It's, it's going to be a huge shift in everything that we currently know. It'll be interesting to see if at some point Intel or AMD, they're not, obviously, I don't think they're switching to ARM. I, uh, no. I don't foresee them ever going into ARM, but I could potentially see them maybe taking up the, uh, the risk instruction set and just using that instead. Because uh, right now, X, the x86 one is huge, whereas risk is far smaller. That's what makes ARM so efficient. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though. But... In the meantime, you know Apple's getting sued like in the EU everywhere. Like this is, oh yeah, you know they're they're getting sued. You know, as if there's no tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, so they've been sued in the they've been fined in Italy for twelve million dollars for a basic. It seems to be they didn't like the advertising around uh, iPhones being waterproof, resistant. Yeah, basically being marketed as waterproof, but then the claims being water resistance. It's really touchy, all of this terminology, like legally speaking, at least. Part of the, I think, part of their biggest issues is the fact. So, if you didn't know, actually, a good way to check: 
if you actually take the SIM tray out of your, your iPhone, if you have an iPhone and you point a flashlight inside of the phone, you'll see that there, you might notice a little white, like, it's like a sticker, I think is what it is. Like a, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little sticker. A little indicator. And basically if that ever gets wet, it'll turn red. And if there's an Apple technician or anybody working on your phone for that, they'll know that the damage of your phone is water damage. Mm-hmm. Now, Apple markets their phones as being able to survive underwater for uh, at four meters for, I believe it's an hour, I want to say, or 30 minutes. I can't remember what the exact uh, numbers are. Right. And I think the pros are six meters, I believe. No. So the pros are four meters, I believe. The pros are, okay. The okay, pros, pros. Okay. I believe the standard model, the old standard model, the 11s were only two meters. Okay. I see. But I believe the 12s this year all match that rating now. So again, why do you buy pro over non-pro? questions anyways moving past that point but that's always how apple's marketed now in apple's commercials you'll never see them say well you know four meters often you'll see people like underwater like with their phone like going towards like you know the camera or whatever yeah (laughs) don't ever use your phone like that by the way unless you've got a waterproof case or a ziploc bag basically (laughs) a ziploc bag i mean i say ziploc like one of those little like water pouches honestly right right just to be honest that's the best way to handle it um like, so, I mean, this is, Italy and Apple just don't get along, like, between this and the battery suit. I, I don't think it's even Italy, it's just the EU and Apple don't get along. <laughs> yeah, I mean, between that, I, I mean, the lightning cable. <laughs> you, you, they're, they're getting sued over battery gate right there. They're getting sued over water resistance. They're getting sued over their identification uh, 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 stuff, you know, for, for advertisers. It's like, it's like, there's no end to what they're just suing Apple for. No, and to be entirely fair, like the water one in particular, I could kind of see where they're coming from, though. Like, right. But when I first saw this, I immediately thought, didn't Samsung also say that you could like use your phone underwater, have it, you know, submerged and be using it and all that stuff? Why aren't they getting sued as well? And I, I think it has to do with either the way that they're advertising it or the fact that Apple doesn't cover it under warranty. Now, whether Samsung covers it under warranty, I'm not sure. I haven't checked that. So I don't... But, uh, yeah, I don't believe Samsung cover... The Samsung does the same thing as Apple. They won't cover if you have water damage. Right. Um, but uh, my thinking is maybe the difference of how they... Ad- I think, as you said, I think the difference of advertising... How they advertise Because I, I don't... I don't want to say for sure. I don't believe Samsung ever shows their phones actually underwater. If anything, they show them getting splashed. No, they did. I Oh, maybe that's... I I remember this one specific ad where this this person dives into a pool and they get up on a like a it's like floaty thing and then they they have their phone so maybe it's like a you have to assume their phone was in them but we're not gonna show you it was in there for legal reasons right whereas I I think with Apple's advertising I I do recall seeing at least a one or two ads where they show people underwater on the phone like I feel like not even have to be underwater I could see it like you know it's getting orange juice coffee spilled like entirely onto it yeah which submerse essentially which to be clear your phone does have water resistance on it but like it's basically i'm gonna call it i'm gonna call it basically a water deterrent if anything else it actually i don't want to say it doesn't add protection it does but assuming let's say let's say for example you spray your phone with a hose for example uh-huh. There's actually a higher chance your water resistance fails against a hose like uh, with pressure than it does in like Let's say you drop it in the pool. Right. Yeah. It's it's all it's all based on water pressure. You know, if the once the gas gets you know collapsed on the inside, it's just gonna fill up with water essentially. 
or, or if the water is coming at a high enough speed, it'll find its way in there somehow. I, I was going to say, because if you actually read through the IP specifications, you'll notice that there's no phone with an IP69 rating. Right, because doesn't that require like certain dust specifications as well, no. and the fine granular? No, it doesn't. It actually no. doesn't. So the, the the difference between IP68 and IP69, IP68 is being able to be submerged underwater under a certain, I, I think it's two meters of pressure, essentially, of still uh-huh. water. Whereas IP69 requires your phone to be able to survive a high pressure, like, Go like jet, jet of stream. water, yeah. Essentially, wow. that's the difference of the IP rating system, which is why you'll never see a phone with IP69 because I think their thought process is well, if your phone is getting hit by a high jet stream of water, you probably have other issues on hand. Than just well, your maybe, phone failing. maybe there needs to be an in between IP rating then because going from two meters to getting sprayed by you know an industrial water sprayer is kind of a big jump. So maybe there needs to be in between, um, you know, levels. Yeah. That's my thinking, at least. You know, it's it's hard because the way the IP system works is it's it's a rating system by an independent company, essentially. No, right, right. All these funds, I and you know, from from the perspective of the you know, from from Apple, for example, they might look at it and say, well, the difference between two meters and or for this independent company who's looking at an iPhone, they might say the difference between two meters and four meters in terms of pressure is not as significant because let's say, for example, you go into the ocean where water is, has current and there's movement. Right. That is a whole different scenario as opposed, and even if you're at four meters, that's a significantly different scenario than at two meters with pressure and current like I think that's sort of the problem is at the point you're 60, you're hitting nine, you're probably are, somewhere where the, the, it's far more uh like how do you say like um unpredictable so, i wonder if there's a way to do that to get a phone to ip69 i mean obviously removing a port would be a great option um but i mean what else do you have to remove the sim tray maybe even five speakers i was gonna say like yeah just even getting rid of those speakers which are like pretty much any access points to the phone and uh maybe the speaker grill on top to it for 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 talking you know for for calls but any buttons you know you could get under there i was gonna say there was a there was an htc phone back in 2017 i want to say where the whole phone was actually uh i think it had a USB-C port but I believe that was it. I believe every other part, it had uh, haptic buttons. So the vibration motor. Oh, the interesting. Buttons. And then I th- uh, had a vibrating screen, uh, sort of like uh, if you've ever seen those bone conducting headphone type things, the screen, basically you put it up to your ear and then it would just vibrate into your ear. And that's how you could uh, hear calls. Interesting. So, I mean, I don't think it, at some point, I, I think it'd be really cool to see a phone like that. Yeah. But with it, better it execution. Would just be- Right, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess just right now it's a little unfeasible to go that that far, um, and even kind of you know not really having any purpose right now. Well, raise phones to two thousand dollars, then it'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. Then once we get to the three thousand dollar mark for the base iPhone, then we'll be IP sixty nine rated. <laughs> <laughs> also, that number is nice, by the way. Anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> Do you remember when we go to movie theaters? I do miss movie theaters. Um, not that I would go right now, but I do miss movie theaters. 
Well, I hope you weren't ever planning to go back again <laughs> because uh, Warner Brothers it said basically in one month they're just going to release all their movies for 2021 in HBO Max. Yeah. Oh, they also said uh, theaters as well. But yeah, basically, yeah, it's simultaneously in theaters, but it's free to watch all the movies on HBO Max once you pay that once you pay that fifteen dollars subscription. But I mean, think of all the money you save, right? Instead of buying five independent, you know, movie tickets, you're paying for one subscription. That's maybe even half the cost of one movie ticket so for all five. It is funny, and I, I will say it this way: when you go to a movie theater, uh, you're probably spending at least. Thirty dollars, yeah. Uh, at least, and let's say, let's say, if you're going with a group of friends, there's ten of you. Let's say per person, you're probably spending at least fifteen, twenty dollars per person. That's for the tickets, at least. Yeah, it's expensive. Not so, even for food. Like, and consider that for a second. You could also just get the HBO Max subscription. We are not sponsored by HBO Max, by the way. Before anybody says anything, we're just pointing out numbers you're paying 15 dollars a month and then you basically you can buy all well don't do it right now but you in the future once covid settles down you can buy all your friends over to your house your family and you all will just watch movies together um make some at home popcorn or even then if you have watch together and you all share the same account uh you know you could just watch in your own houses and do that way on the same account you know there's very true this is exactly this is really going to you know, you know, COVID opened and created the coffin, and this is just the final nail in the coffin for movie theaters, honestly. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, before, yeah, even be- oh, sorry. Even before COVID, movie theaters were already kind of struggling a little bit. Yeah, no, their, their ticket prices were just, they were not the greatest, and then food prices were not the greatest. Um, I would always go to the Saturday matinees because they were always half off for tickets. Um, that's when you go because no one's awake because everyone's partying Friday night. Uh, back in the before times, <laughs> everyone's partying Friday nights. So you'd go Saturday morning, no one was there, watch a movie, it'd be nice. You know, now it's like, I'll just stay home because, you know, outside is bad. Um, but having all the movies simultaneously on HBO Max, that's a really big bet. And Obviously, it's great for AT&T because they own HBO and AT&T owns Warner Brothers. So this is just the perfect move for them. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this before, like Paramount even. Um, when they released, I believe it was Trolls World Tour, uh, when they cut sort of AMC out of the deal that they originally had. I mean, I couldn't entirely blame them because, you know, they made this whole movie. They had it all put together and then there was just no movie for it. Like there's no theater for it. Right. I... Honestly, the only way I could see theaters surviving is if we return to a time of drive-in movies. <laughs> drive the drive-in theater because experience. it's already a lot of theaters that have switched to that because of COVID, and I think people enjoy it because you know long, a lot of the younger people never experienced that before. It's mainly you know an eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties thing, and it's kind of all gone now. Uh, but if you bring it back, I feel like you bring back the nostalgia that people miss. You can bring back uh, older movies for the older generations, newer movies for the younger generations, right? There's a way that theaters can survive, whether it's going to be in the form of maybe, you know, the AMC Movie Pass, where you pay $50 a month and you can watch, you know, four or five movies a month, because, you know, realistically, how often do you go to movie theater? Um, the, the problem is that the competitor HBO Max, if it's at the same price, you get every movie you could ever, you know, imagine not have to go anywhere. It's very difficult to, keep you know being in favor of these movie theaters that they're just going to keep 
doing the same formula over and over and over again. So there is an interesting sort of side thought to this, though. So while they are going to release them simultaneously on theaters and on HBO Max, they are, they are what they're going to do is, they're going to, after one month, they'll take it off HBO Max and then just have it on theaters for the remaining time. And then they'll bring it back to HBO Max after the fact. So I don't know, like, it's, you know... As you said, it was, it's it's just kind of archaic though at this point though too is the other problem. Like the, the problem theaters. with having it the first month on both and then the second month only in theaters, everyone will have watched it that first month. Everybody, because where else are we gonna go? We can't go anywhere right now. So it's it's like, wow, great, good one for the theaters, but not really because everyone have watched it nearly immediately or within that first month because it's going to be as cheap as it can get for those five movies yeah i mean i don't know i mean maybe it's just for the movie theater experience i mean it's weird to think we talked about a few weeks ago how regal shut down all their theaters amc is probably going to be in the same boat relatively soon i don't know and since cinemark as well i mean both amc's stock when this was announced fell you know 16 percent and you know they're only valued at they're only valued at ten dollars in the first place per, per stock, and and Cinemark fell twenty two percent. It's brutal, and it, it's only gonna and on, there uh, there might actually be a point where we simply just have no movie theaters, and I mean that whole experience could be missing maybe for a little bit. It's gonna be exactly what happened to Blockbuster. It's gonna be the refusal to go to streaming. The but it's not it, they don't have the option of going to streaming though. Right, because every movie now has its own platform that it's going to be streamed on. Disney movies, Disney Plus, Warner Brothers, HBO Max. You know, it, it seems everyone is owned by some big conglomerate company that can now just be like, nope, you're going to go on our streaming platform because we already have the infrastructure. No license deals, we get 100% of the commission. I was gonna, right. I was going to say, even from like an exclusivity standpoint, we're sort of to the point that we were at with like game consoles, where all of a sudden. Every movie, every show is now an exclusive on X platform, like Disney Plus, Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu. Uh, what are some other ones? Uh, there's probably like two other ones that I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, like just I, I, I really think this is gonna open the door to to honestly pirating again, like a lot of pirating, because if you by the time you're paying for all these services, it's a cable bill again. You don't want to be paying for a cable bill again on top of your current cable bill, right? So I, I think pirating is going to take off a lot again. I, it's going to be weird because so before, well, you know, you went to theater with your friends, you all paid. And now what it's sort of down to is, for example, you could be one of like six people who share one account and then just split or uh, some of them even like Netflix do like the family sharing thing. You could just do it that way, split it six ways or how, ma- how many ever, uh, ways you want to do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're all getting access to these movies. You're all sharing with your friends, your family. And then what's left for, you know, a movie theater to take or even even for, to an extent, the streaming platforms to take because you're essentially paying for six people to use one account. Yeah, you're basically, you know, if you take a $15 account, and you split it six ways, you know, you're paying like, what, $3, $2.5 per person? That's nothing. No, and, and keeping in mind, too, as we said, there are, I just named four different streaming services. And imagine if you're choosing between four, you're not buying all four. You're going to probably have one, split it with your friends or whatever, and then that's what you have for a bit. Maybe switch to another one. 
I don't. It's not sustainable. No, basically, I bet you'll have all of them, but you'll have such a you'll be sharing with all your friends, so you're only paying the cost of one of them per month, but you have all four of them because you're all splitting the cost together, and it's going to be detrimental for movies in terms of you know how much money they're going to make, right? Because when you go to a blockbuster movie in the theater, you're paying fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars to watch it, you know, versus a movie th- HBO Max. If you have six friends. You're paying $2 to watch these movies that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars to make. Yeah, I mean, it's... And six of you for $2? Six of you for $15? That's, that's... It's going to dramatically decrease margins. These stars, you know, these poor actors that make millions are only going to make maybe half a million now. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely an interesting... An interesting idea, and it's it's it also is going to rely sort of on what you know the world's going to look like in a few years. Uh, we don't we don't know the answer to that one. I mean, there's a chance we don't know how long the pandemic has been going for the past eight or nine months now. At this point, it's been going a really long time. It's a question of how does the pandemic look six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. I mean, it, it's an interesting idea to see what this model is going to look like two years from now when there's potential, maybe things will be a little bit back to normal or maybe things are still really not normal. I guess I I say normal when this is kind of, it's weird. I guess this kind of is a new normal though. The whole pandemic. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Unfortunately. So, Uh, you know, I I think a lot of businesses, not, not just theaters, but everyone will be suffering. Not everyone, but like businesses in general. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next two years to movies, especially as HBO Max, which and AT&T for the matter, this being some of the biggest in this industry, make that move. It'll be curious to see now it's kind of Disney's move to some extent as one of the other large studios. Yeah, you could think of, you know, big Marvel movies, big Star Wars movies, you know, all the big franchises are just going to be exclusive. Skip, just skip theaters entirely. Yeah, what are you going to do? Man, that's a thought. But with that... We'll go ahead and we're going to wrap the podcast right here. It, really, there is no like set time that this podcast ends. It just, it ends when it ends. And yes, you're going <laughs> to, yeah. So follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter and YouTube. All the links down in the description below. Um, I think that's pretty much all I have to say. Louie, do you have anything else you want to say? I hope you all have a fantastic holiday season and be safe. Be safe out there indeed, and happy holidays. Also, f- subscribe on podcast platform. Join us next week when we talk about whatever news appears, as we do. There will be news. There's always news. Always news. These will be holiday-themed <laughs> or something, though. It'll be fun. Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah, all right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.